I'm sure I've mentioned from the pulpit before that in my opinion, my dear wife Becky is a great cook. I'm not saying that she does it a lot, but what I can tell you is if she makes it, it'll be really great. That's the way it's been. There is, however, a certain thing that happens when she cooks, particularly when she's working with a recipe that's somewhat new to her. She doesn't read the whole recipe before she starts. Um, she reads just enough to get started. And uh, I become the run-to-the-store guy. Are there any other men in the house that you're the run-to-the-store guy? Raise your hand. Let me see if that's you. Okay, and you get it. Uh, I got to go get whatever might be missing from our pantry. And before the days of cell phones and texting, it was not unusual for me to make several trips to the store in an effort to have all the needed and necessary items that she was going to need for that particular recipe. So it would typically go something like this. She would read the first part of the recipe and begin taking out the bowls and the mixer or the blender or whatever was needed to get started. And then she would discover that she was uh, missing a sufficient supply of, um, let's say, eggs, okay? And then she would holler, at, holler out at me, Dan, can you run to the store and get me some eggs? And of course, I did it lovingly, willingly, and cheerfully, okay? But the minute I walked back in the house to deliver the eggs, I would always receive a look that went something like this. You know what that meant? I've read more of the recipe and there's something else we're missing. That, that's, what, that's what that meant. Now, thankfully, we've always lived fairly close to a grocery store. I can't imagine a life where it was a 15 or 20 minute drive to the grocery store. We, we would starve to death if that was the case. But the truth is, I honestly like being the go-get-it guy. I, I really do. I don't mind running to the store uh, even for just that one item, if it's something that, that we feel that we need. But there is a clear distinction for those times when Becky asks me to run to the store uh, that's, uh, that is unique to that, and that is this. I know the destination. I know where she's calling me to go. I, and I may be uh, jumping up to run out the door to, get the, to meet the need, but I know the destination. So there's a familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you are already ahead of me. Where the prophet Isaiah shows himself to also be one who responds with those words, I'll go, I'll go. But I want you to see this morning, Bethesda, there's a clear difference. His response of I'll go is without knowing the destination has no idea. Let's read it. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And he said, here I am. Most versions say here, here am I. Send me. Now, in the earlier part of the chapter, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple. He's attending uh, to the Lord, uh, or attending to the Lord, were mighty seraphim or angels, each having six wings and calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled 
with his glory. Can you say amen to that? You know, church, the privilege of worship is incredible. Let us never lose the awe and wonder of the privilege of gathering and worshiping the Lord Jesus. Never let us take it for granted, the privilege to come before the throne, if you will, and join our voices with the angels who are at this moment declaring that God is holy. Is there an amen to that? Can I just take one little sidebar? Those of you who are musicians, singers, or whatever it is that however you express yourself before the Lord, particularly if it's a performance-oriented type thing, be sure that your gifting is not just performance, that worship is a part of that. That it's always a part of it. In fact, it's the preeminent part of it. And I know you probably have a good handle on that. I think most of us who are believers. But let me just tell you, as someone who spent my life in performance-oriented expressions of music, um, the day's gonna come when the performance is gonna fade away and you need what's left over to be that expression of worship. Um, I I mean, I still do some musical things. I don't do near as much as I used to, don't have the time to do it. But I'm telling you, I sat down at my, the piano in our house yesterday, and some song came to my mind. It was, I'm sure it's an old one. Um, I live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. And for me, that turned into that, out of that came another song, another song. And it was an expression of worship. And yeah, I was using some chords that interested me and, and I was playing it. And I just, when I was finished, I was just weeping at the piano. And I said, God, what a privilege you've given me to enjoy music all of my life. And there may not be the level of performance. I'm not directing choirs as much as I used to. I, I do it plenty. And I, you know, I have a feeling if I ever want to come up here and direct, neither Brent nor Janice would stop me from doing it. They'd probably be saying, come on, get up here. Nobody's stopping me from that. But I'm in a different season of life now. And I am so thrilled that at the end of the, of the performance is worship. That it's not just, uh, you know, it's very easy when you're caught up in the, in the performance of the next thing and being properly prepared and having it all together and making sure that you can deliver that properly. I get that. But for the Christian, everything that we do musically is based in worship. And that when the performance is gone, and let me tell you, that will fade. When that's gone, you have something left and it is the precious element of worship. Can somebody say amen to that today? That can apply to you in whatever life, in whatever uh, expression of life that you have, that you, where, where you worship the Lord. When the other part's gone, what's left is worship. Well, that's what happened. Isaiah gets this picture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this vision is so awe-inspiring to him that it leaves him with this overwhelming sense of conviction. And it takes him, as we know from Isaiah 6, to a moment where he is deeply and keenly aware of his own sin. And then one of the seraphim gets a pair of tongs in order to go get a burning coal from off the altar. And he gets it and he flies to Isaiah and he touches Isaiah's lips with the burning coal and he says, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins 
are forgiven. And Isaiah's response serves as an incredible reminder to any of us today who might be posturing ourselves to say to the Lord, here am I, send me. You may have walked into the house today ready to give that kind of a response to the Lord. Here am I, send me. But his response is important because we also must say, Lord, before you send me, before you do that, God, please cleanse me. Give me clean hands and a pure heart. And immediately after that moment, the scripture says, that's when Isaiah then heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And the astonishing point, Bethesda, that we must not miss today when we read this very familiar passage is this, because of the overcoming inspiration of this incredible moment that Isaiah has just experienced, he jumps right up with the response, here am I, send me, and yet, hear me. He had absolutely no idea where he would be going as a result of his cry, send me. It's a different situation than when God commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh uh, Jonah knew that he was where he was going. He knew where he was supposed to go. That was the plan. And Isaiah answered the call when he didn't know where the call was going to take him. In one sense, it makes this prayer or this cry or this response of, here am I, send me, a very dangerous prayer to pray. Please look with me, if you will, at the contrast between the response of Isaiah, as I've just presented to you, and the response of Moses. Both of them uttered the phrase, here am I, both of them. For Moses, it's in Exodus uh, chapters 3 and 4 where he experienced the burning bush and he learns that he's standing on holy ground and he must remove his sandals. And Moses responded with, here I am, when the Lord called his name, just like Isaiah responded with, here I am. And then Isaiah said, send me. Moses said, could you find somebody else to send? And then he offered a litany of protests to God's call. Moses was given specific instructions as to where to go. Isaiah was not. And yet Isaiah had the courage to say, here am I, send me. Even with his doubts, even with uncertainty present in the situation. So the most poignant way, Bethesda, that I know how to present to you Isaiah's response to the Lord of, here am I, send me, would be to say that his response looked like this. The answer is yes. Now, what's the question? The answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Before he knew what the question was, before he understood anything about the assignment, Isaiah's answer was, and isn't that a challenge to the level of consecration within each of us? Consecration, it's a word we don't hear as much about today. 
consecration, set apart. Set apart, wholly consecrated unto him. First uh, Peter gives us a wonderful picture in, in, in chapter two of First Peter. He says, but you are a chosen, usually chosen generation. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Some of you could sing it if I started to sing it with you. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love the way the message uh, says this. I, I love it. He says this, but you are the ones chosen by God chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. I quoted it last week as I was preparing for you for today. I cannot get this song out of my head. It's an old, old, old song. Like three people last week had ever heard of it. Not what I wish to be, nor where I wish to go. For who am I that I should choose my way? The Lord will choose for me. Tis better far, I know. So let him bid me go or stay. Oh God, let the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace to the point that my response to you is this. God, the answer's yes. Whatever it is, the answer's yes. Now what's the question? That's the order. But we live in a real world. We live in a real church with real people. And so often it seems to go like this. More often than not, we prioritize the availability of Jesus to us more than we prioritize our availability to him. That's the way it goes more often than not. For so many people, Jesus simply becomes the backup plan or or um, this great assist, or dare I say it, almost like a vending machine that I go activate as I have need to do so. But then when I get backed into a corner, I'll turn to Jesus and I'll, I'll rely upon him at that moment. If that's you, if that's the condition you find yourself in today, there's a simple fix to that. Repent of it. Say, God, forgive me. I've taken you too lightly. I've allowed you just to be an extra on the stage of my life. Forgive me for that. And let me hear the frail words of this poor preacher today as he tries to talk about what it is to be wholly consecrated to the Lord. What I love about the response of Isaiah is that he makes himself so available that he seems to be saying, Lord, I wanna make your desires my priority. I want to make the focus of my, availab my availability to you so much into your priorities that my priorities become very secondary, if even that. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 9 for just a second because I want you to see this in this passage. When Jesus saw the crowds, 
He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without, shepherd, without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And then in the next verse, what you're gonna see is Jesus giving them directions on how to pray. So he says, then pray then to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, I need you brothers to help me pray for something. Pray for this. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that we would have more workers uh, to bring, uh, bring in the harvest and that we would send out workers into the harvest field. So if that's the heart cry of the Lord Jesus himself, if this is his prayer request to the Father, I think it serves as a challenge to all of us to reframe our thinking about our lives and our purpose in life on this earth, particularly in this Western world where our culture has made everything about us. And it challenges us to begin to grasp the idea around, uh, uh, of this, that the greatest thing we will ever do while on this earth is not to live the American dream. That's not the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. The greatest thing that we will ever do while on this earth is, is not to build wealth. As much as you, you have the need to supply and the urge and the responsibility to supply for your family, that's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing that we will ever do while on this earth is, is, is not to gain influence or followers. In fact, I'm going to even take it one step further. It may be too bold for some of you, but, but I'm going to be strong enough to say the most important thing is not even raising your family, as important as that is, as critically important as that is. But the most important thing you can ever do on this earth is to say yes to the call of God on your life. Oh, I don't know. Are you hearing me today? Can I hear an amen from you today? Simply making it clear to God, I'm available. I'm available. And Lord, I want to come into alignment with your plan because I know your plan is perfect. And my trust in you, God, is so great that I'm saying yes before I even know the question, before I even know what's involved. I'm saying yes. Therefore, there is a decision that each one of us have to make individually. I can't make the decision for you. You can't make the decision for me. It's a prayer that must ultimately be prayed by everyone who declares Jesus Christ as Lord, and it's a dangerous prayer. And it's this, I'm available. Lord, I speak it to you today. I'm available to do anything that you are calling me to do. And just in case there's someone in the room today that you're ready and willing to say yes right now, Maybe you've, been, you've come into the house today. I, obviously, I have, could never have any idea what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your life in this season of time, in these days, these weeks that's brought you to this moment today. I don't know. I'm just trusting God that the word he's given me is for someone today, someone who's, who is really on the precipice, if you will, uh, of, of making a critical decision whether or not they're going to respond to the call of God on their life. In case that's you, um, I think it's only, uh, it's only fair and right that I just give you a couple of extremely simple words. This is gonna be the simplest message you've ever heard. 
We ought to title it Christianity 101. It's that simple. But there's, there's three very, very simple points that I know you've heard, but they're very necessary to fully understand in light of this idea of being wholly consecrated to God. Number one, Lord, I'll go wherever. Can you say that with me? Now, I know that's a very broad statement. I get it. And I know it appears to clearly deal with location. I'm also going to tell you it has both long-term and short-term implications. Uh, the the long-term, t- long it would be a response. You would say, yes, Lord, I, I will move to the dry and barren mission field of Oklahoma. My apologies to all the Oklahomans. I will go to what, whatever. Maybe it is a call to a mission field. Maybe it's a call to some place, and God may well be dealing with you about a long-term call to a location. And my question, is your answer yes, or is it, Lord, I'll answer when I get the details. Be sure there's a grocery store not too far from my house, because Becky may have me go get some more stuff for the recipe. That's the long-term. Short-term implies your willingness and availability today and in this very moment wherever he needs you to go. And I'm going to ask you to consider that when you're available to God to go wherever, it may not be geographical. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think you would know exactly what I mean if I walked up to you and pointed to somebody and I, and I just said, she just went there. She just went there. You would know what I mean by that. So that means that if you're going to go where someone is, that, that, may, that may mean being willing to go where they are in their mind or in their emotions. It may necessitate challenging or confronting someone or to face even a difficult situation. But aren't you saying, Lord, I'll go wherever? Even if it's challenging, even if it's difficult, Lord, I'll go wherever. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the same principle at work within Abram. This is before he becomes Abraham, the father of many nations. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Going someplace requires leaving where you are now. It's so profound, you might wanna write that down. Going someplace requires leaving where you are now. Abram, you are to leave your place of comfort, leave your home, leave your country, leave your people and your father's house, leave it all and go to a land that I will show you. Apparently, God wanted to know if Abram would also say yes before he knew the question before he knew the destination. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then in this fourth verse, we see Abram's response. And so Abram departed, say the word departed, as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he, was, when he left Haran. Now, I read into this that Abram is having to deal with his humanity because we are 
humans and we want clarity. We want to know the destination. We want to know what's being asked of us. We want to know all the details of, of where we're going and how we're going to get there. And Lord, after you supply all these details that I, that I need, then I'll calculate it all in my mind and I'll decide if I really want to do that or not. But the scripture says, we just read it, that Abram departed. Say the word departed. Let me tell you what that word means in, in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word is yalak. Say it. Yalak. Which simply means to start moving. Get up. Get going or proceed. If you, if you dig into the word at all, it, it, it usually you'll find the word proceed in, in any of the uh, lexicons that are available. To pr- proceed, to start, take the first step to get going. And that's what this, this scripture means when it says when Abram departed. He, yalak. It doesn't say that he arrived at his destination. It simply says that he, yalak, he departed. He started. He took the first step to move. And here's how it works in the economy of God. Our obedience, church, hear me carefully, is not about reaching the destination. Our obedience is measured in how we yaluck, how we take that first step to move out toward that which God is calling us to. Is there an amen in the house? Some of you are right in that position today. You're in that very place today. Make that first move. Take that first step to say yes to the Lord, even though you do not have all of the details that you would like to have. No need to wait for a stage, nor the availability of a stage. Rather, let's choose to be available, to be staged by God. Not waiting for your stage but positioning yourself to be staged by the Lord. Amen to that. No need to wait for everything to be lined out. I prefer it that way for sure. I'm a ducks in a row, prefer to be ducks in a row kind of guy. That's that's how it works best for me. But you know what I've learned over the years, the many, many years, as many of you have learned as well, walking with God, that God moves when we begin to take steps. It's called a walk of faith. That's why it's called that. Because you, st- you start out and you take the first step. You have no idea where the next step is. But God is going to move in your life and, be- and give you direction as you begin to take steps. We don't have to know the beginning and the end. That is reserved for the one that we call the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who knows the beginning and the end. We're simply called to just take the next step in the process. And God wants your yes before you have all the answers and before you know all the details. Maybe you're new to Bethesda and you feel drawn here. I'm just gonna encourage you today, start the process of yalak, start it. So what do you mean? Well, start moving, take a step. I know it's more fun to sit back and have people come and to you and hopefully that will happen. But you need to take the first step. Start moving. You lock. Take the first step. Join a connect group or a home group. Go on our website and find what's available for you to be a part of. Become a greeter. Uh, Get in the choir. Not a better small group to be a part of. It's not all that small, but not a better group to be a part of. Look into church membership. Volunteer in kids or youth ministry. Just take a step. You lock. 
move on out. So today, if you're saying, God, I'm available, you need to be willing to go wherever. Say the word wherever. wherever. Point number two. Oh my goodness. You need to be available to go whenever. Say the word whenever. This one's a little trickier. Why? Because it deals with our time. And when it comes to time, I always seem to have a different opinion than God does. Have you ever noticed that about life? Is that true for you? So there's my time and there's God's time. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Once again, in this, I see a long-term implication and and short-term timing. Long-term timing. That's when we say to God, Lord, when you're gonna say whenever, Lord, I'm in it for the long haul. Uh, I'm not gonna just be a potted plant. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna stay planted, I'm gonna put roots down, and I'm not gonna uproot every year. I'm not gonna go try to find another marriage. I'm not gonna go try to find another church. I'm not gonna go try to find another job. I, I'm, not, I'm not a potted plant because I've committed to you. I'll go, I'll go whenever. I'm going to wait on you to speak and to move. I'm going to wait on your timing because I'm available whenever. Say the word whenever. Yeah. I'm in it for the long haul. Say that. So what about short-term timing? Well, are you available Today? Are you available right after service today? You think that's a loaded question, don't you? <laughs> are, you avail- are you available to God as you leave here today? Does God know that you're available in the moments after this service today? That's, oh, that's so hard for us because we have our own timing, we have our own agenda, we have our own schedule, we've got our own plans, stuff we've got to do. This whole issue of whenever presents a challenging question to us. Am I really available for God's timing? Which means, am I yielding my will? Am I willing to yield my thoughts, my preferences? Am I willing to yield my desires? Am I yielding that to say, God, I'm available to you whenever you say the timing is right, whether that's long-term or short-term. But there is a catch to it. When we make ourselves available to God's timing, it's gonna mean that you're gonna also have to say no to some stuff. In order to say yes to God, you must learn to say, okay, let's try that again. Yellow is yours, white is mine. In order to say to God, you must learn to say Now, if you're a people pleaser like I am, you're gonna find that really, really, really hard. Really hard. Now, we all have our calendars. Most of us could pull our calendars up on our phone or our device right now, and we could so impress each other with how busy we are. You should see this. I am so busy, I've got so much stuff going. It's work-related items, it's trips I have to take. Our, our kids' sports events are on here, their practices and all. You see how many nights a week I have? And then school-related stuff, work-related stuff, and on and on and on. But it's true 
that you cannot say yes to God and be available to say yes to God without saying no to some other stuff. I wanna be honest enough to tell you as your pastor, I'm in the process of learning that. I'm not good at it, but I'm learning it even in this season of time. But even John the Baptist said, less of me, more of him. I must decrease, he must increase. And I think we all understand there's only 24 hours in a day, so in order to add anything to my calendar, I must take something away. Therefore, it just stands to reason that in order to say yes to God, something else has got to go. So let me dial this up just a little bit. If you're going to make church a priority to your family, there's some other things that have to go. And I would love to give you the list right now, but I'm going to resist that temptation. I think. No, I am. <laughs> you know what, folks? The Lord Jesus himself was the best model of this idea of being available whenever. You read scripture when he was walking on earth. He was always being disturbed, always being interrupted. He was disturbable. Don't try looking it up. It's not in the dictionary. It's not a real word. But I think you get it. He was disturbable. One of the best examples when he healed the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible indicates that he was on his way somewhere else. And as he was on his way, this woman came and touched the hem of his garment. Most of us, including me, would have probably said, you know what, I don't really have you on my calendar here. Let me look at my iPhone. Um, I'm gonna have to go, I, I gotta keep going. But Jesus was disturbable and available whenever to the will of the Father, to the purposes of the Father that God placed there. Number one, I'm willing to go wherever, say wherever. I'm willing to go whenever, and I'm willing to go however. When you take this position before God, you are essentially saying, God, you choose the place, you choose the time, you choose the way. If you're like me, you're probably one who says, I like to help God choose the where. I like to help God choose the when, and I certainly like to help God choose the how. And I stand before you today very guilty of frequently giving all of my suggestions to God about my future. All too often, my fasting and prayer time has been about giving God all my suggestions of how this needs to go down. Lord, I'd like to spend the next few minutes giving you my plan. This is how I've, because it's really a good plan. It's really pretty good if I do say so myself. I've done an impressive piece of work on getting this plan and all the details laid out really well. You should see it. I hope you're going to be impressed too. I'm quite sure you will be when you see this. So this person needs to call me. Uh, So-and-so needs to go do this. And these things need to happen uh, this way. And we need to move quickly on most all of this because time is of the essence. And I have it all mapped out. How many of you have ever prayed like that? You're not going to admit it, are you? But every time we are inclined to do this, we have no alternative to back up but to back up and present ourselves with a posturing that says, but Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And I'm willing to do it however you see fit because I know what you said through the prophet Isaiah. He said this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. 
and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It was when Job came toward the end of his resolve and processing his situation that he said this in Job 23. He said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I don't see him in the north, for he's hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. And then here comes one of those powerful three-letter conjunctions. But he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's paths, Job said. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. What we see Job is telling us here is he has lived by the principle of however you say is best, God, that's what I'll do and that's the path that I'll follow. You know, I I know we sing songs with lyrics like this and they're not wrong, they're not bad, and I'm all for them, but we often sing maybe a lyric that says, God made a way where there was no way. And that is true. I absolutely believe he can, he will, and he does do that. But I can't help but wonder if it would be more accurate to sing, God made a way other than what I thought it was going to be. Because I had a plan. I knew how this was supposed to happen. And it was a good plan. And God did something completely different. We might have thought there was no way because we had created preconceived ideas about how God was going to do it. And oh my goodness, am I guilty of that. It was the end of 2010, 2010. I was standing at the console, the sound console of the large orchestra room of a studio in Nashville called Sound Kitchen. Sound Kitchen was actually a complex of seven studios of varying sizes in one facility. It's actually, those of you know the area, is actually closer to Franklin in the Cool Springs area. So lots of recording sessions could be happening on any given day. I was about 10 minutes away from stepping out on the orchestra floor and starting conducting that session precisely at 10 a.m. This control room is quite large, uh, and lots of people were coming and going as, as the last-minute preparations for this massive orchestra session was, was about to take place. I need you to also understand that the end of 2010 was a very intense time of seeking the Lord about the possibility that was soon to be placed before me to consider transitioning from the position of, of music pastor here at Bethesda to the position of senior pastor of this fellowship. It was agonizing, to say the least. As I dealt with my inabilities, my frailties, my faults, my shortcomings, the fact that no one in their right mind should ever follow Des Evans as a pastor, and much more. Not much sleep was happening in that season of time. And yet, it was, uh, I think it was about the beginning of December of that year, I was responsible for a very large recording project right in the midst of it all. Now, I had conducted recording sessions for decades, but somehow this one brought an unusual measure of anxiety as we got closer to the 10 a.m. downbeat. You gotta have it together, that clock starting at 10 o'clock, right on the nose. About 9.55, the door to the control room to my left, if I'm standing at the 
large console. The, the, about 9.55, the control room to the door swung open and two gentlemen walked in the room. I didn't actually see them at first because lots of people were coming and going. And the one man said in a loud voice, is J. Daniel Smith in the room? Which is a little terrifying. So that's when I turned toward the door. But it was the other gentleman in a long winter uh, dress coat and a scarf tightly around his neck that captured my attention. His name was Larry Goss. Most of you will probably not know that name, but few people have had the impact on Christian music from the production side more than Larry Goss. A brilliant pianist, an incredible arranger and orchestrator. He developed a unique and distinctive sound to his writing. Any discriminating ear could detect a Larry Goss orchestration from far away. And every orchestrator of my generation had grown up closely studying his work. I had worked, I, would, I had been privileged to work with Larry Goss when I was about 19 or 20 years old at a studio in Atlanta. Through the years, we only saw each other just a few times, possibly at a music conference or occasionally I ran into him when I was working in Nashville. But I'd always made it clear to him, and I had written him many times, how much I admired his work and how much I had learned from him. Oh my goodness. In fact, I used to say, hey, Larry, I grew up like sleeping on Larry Goss records because I wanted to just absorb every, every, everything you did. On that day, he walked into my session in Nashville. I had not seen him in many years, but I had known that about three to four years before that, he had developed throat cancer. He'd come that day just to do a light amount of work because he was much weaker. He was working in one of the other studios of the complex and someone had told him that I was working in the orchestra room that day. And so he always had to have someone accompany him because at that time he could only speak in a very light whisper. And you had to get your ear very close to him to hear him and that's why he had someone with him always to help communicate. So I see him, he sees me and he's, Carefully, he's guided over to where I was standing and I'm going to him and he put his arms around me and he made some very kind and very undeserved comments about my work as a Christian musician. And here's what I know. Larry would have known nothing about what was about to happen in my life. Nothing at all. Our conversation exchange was probably no more than 90 seconds, maybe two minutes as the clock was ticking closer to 10 a.m. and he would have been very sensitive to that situation. But before he left, I will never forget this. He grabbed me with both hands and he pulled me close to put my ear close to his mouth where I could hear him and he said these words. Do not reject the path that God is placing before you right now. What? And with that, he gave me a hug and quietly was escorted out of that control room to go to the room that he was now scheduled to work in the rest of that day. I never saw him again. And he died some time after that. I will never forget that moment because here's the reality. At that very time, on that very day, even in those very circumstances, I was seriously contemplating tendering my resignation for my position here at Bethesda to exit sometime near the time when Pastor Des would be leaving the office of senior pastor. I had a great plan. It really was a spectacular plan. Becky and I would move to Nashville and I would finish up my music career there. 
I stood literally on the precipice of walking away from the distinctive call of God upon my life. I could easily justify it, I could easily defend it. It certainly wasn't a bad plan, but it was my plan and not God's plan. As I look back on it now, the seeds had been planted over the years and roots had certainly formed within me. But I was ready at that moment to dig up the seeds and the roots. And maybe God has been planting seeds within you, seasons of his calling on your life. And life's experiences of taking you here and taking you there, there's been some bumps and bruises. You've been, you know, bantered around a bit. Yeah, I, I'll compare stories with you. But I'm just gonna tell you this today. God's calling on your life is serious business. Whatever you do, don't dig up the seeds and leave those roots alone. I just encourage you to keep saying to the Lord, God, I wanna make it abundantly clear today on this day, September 5th, 2021, in case I've not said it in a while, in case I haven't openly expressed this in a while, and for some of you it's been a long time, I'm available wherever, I'm available whenever, and I'm available However, I don't even pretend to know the way, but I trust that you are doing something behind the scenes and I will be diligent to listen to your voice. And then I think you should, if you want, say this to the Lord. God, if I'm tempted to stray from your plan, something grabs my attention. There's an allure from here or there. Something looks like an easier path. Something looks less complicated. If I'm tempted to stray from your plan, God, would you please send someone to me like you did to Pastor Dan to give me a word to stay in the path that you're designing and designating for me. For there is no greater honor on earth than to fulfill the call of God on your life. There is no greater honor, there is nothing of higher importance than to fulfill the call of God on your life.